Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Mind Affinity podcast. Today, I am chatting with James Chisholm from Meshi Consultants. Believe it or not, James Chisholm is an accountant. He's also a good friend of mine, and the chances of us remaining serious throughout this entire podcast are very slim. So, let's get going. The mind is capable of amazing things, and yet so many people use that immense power to hold themselves back. Imagine what you could achieve harnessing that power and using it to push yourself forward. This is the Mind Affinity Podcast, the place for advice and inspiration to help you empower yourself. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thanks, yourself. Yeah, excellent. And you've had no preparation and have no idea what to expect from today. No, no. Other than the last time that we did this, it was uh, an absolute shambles. It was horrendous. So we tried to record this podcast before and uh, it, <laughs> the internet went and then well his internet went and then my internet went um and then uh it took us way longer than it normally takes for me to record an episode to successfully not record an episode um but on the plus side we had a good laugh we did and i i think i think that's an achievement to spend longer to record something that wasn't then a podcast i think that was epic so yeah Maybe it'll, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll appear in the bloopers at some point when you're you know, famous for your podcast. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. Or maybe I'll just delete the whole thing. <laughs> That's probably best. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Sometimes things don't go as you expect. And sometimes that can feel like a monumentous waste of time. But at least if you're enjoying it, there's something gained from that time, right? Exactly. Not everything in life needs to be moving you forward. Tell me about yourself, James. I mean, I know you, but the listeners might not. So who are you and what do you do? Um, so uh, as you mentioned in, I think you mentioned in the introduction, uh, I'm an accountant, which quite often surprises people. Um, I got a, uh, what well, I class as being a compliment the other day from somebody who described me as not being like a typical accountant at all, um, which was uh, very nice to hear. Uh, I try to uh, make uh, accountancy um, as painless and easy as possible for my clients, um, whilst also uh, making sure that they understand what's going on. Because uh, a lot of times I feel like uh, people get given information by accountants and they, and they don't really know what's happening. So, yeah, mm. I've been a uh, accountant for uh, 20-ish years. Um, uh, about 13 years of that was spent um, as finance director uh, of uh, small and medium-sized companies, uh, generally in the uh, sort of uh, research and development sort of uh, sectors. Hmm. Um, so, so very why? good. At... So why? Yeah, why? Um, and so long dealing with numbers. <laughs> so, like numbers, um, probably bizarrely, um, if you'd asked me when I was sort of a teenager, um, being an accountant was what I wanted to do. Um, I enjoyed numbers and I enjoyed business um, as well um, at school. Uh, went to university um, to do economics, accounting and finance. Um, the first semester of accountancy, absolutely hated it. Couldn't stand it at all um, and nearly uh, nearly jacked it in. Decided to stick it out and, and complete my degree um, uh, and then didn't think I was going to go into accounting, to be fair. Um, because the uh, sort of uh, textbook learning of accountancy wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, the actual practical impl implementation of accountancy 
in a business is the bit that I like. Um, and I found that out by um, essentially sort of stumbling into a, a part-time job that I needed um, before my plan was to go traveling. So it was to get some money um, and then found that actually the bit of accountancy that I was never taught at university was the bit that I really enjoyed. Um, and that's when um, after after a year of, uh, of working in the accounts department, became a finance director um, and then really enjoyed that side of things which is, is helping the businesses understand their finances um, more than just the crunching of the numbers themselves and that's i mean that's definitely something that you've helped me with a lot as well um you know i'm i'm, I'm damn good at what i do but i you know we often joke i'm i'm good with words yeah. uh, and i'll leave you to worry about the numbers yeah exactly yeah um and and that's one of the things that i i try to get across to um my clients and potential clients um, that quite often, um, especially when a business is first starting up, um, there's an expectation, I believe, in our uh, in our culture. Uh, I don't know whether it's the same across the world. world. I don't think it's the same in America um, so much. Um, but there's a, a sort of, I believe, um, an expectation that a business owner should know their numbers inside out um, and should be able to do their accounts, um, which I think is absolutely twaddle um because in, in reality um there's no way that anybody would expect me as an accountant to be able to do what you do yet so why should they expect that you should be able to do accounts be you know just because you're a business owner i don't so, think it would be really funny watching you try and hypnotize people <laughs> yeah that, that that could be a whole like show on its own <laughs> maybe i don't really do hypnosis for entertainment um it's something no. that i played around with when i was first training and it's great fun uh, if i did then a whole show where i hypnotize you to think that you can hypnotize people could be really fun yes um, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that would be quite interesting <laughs> okay so uh so that's the boring stuff out of the way then we, yeah. we know what you do for a living um and you know for anyone who's wondering he's good at it but whatever um but what about the man behind that? Who is James Chisholm? Oh, crikey. That's a, a deep and uh, meaningful question. Um, so, I'd like to make um, it easy. Yeah. Uh, I'm 40, um, although don't feel 40. Um, I constantly have to try and check how old I am by um, what year we're in. Um, and that's the only way I can figure it out, uh, generally. Um, uh, I've got a son who's nearly 14. Uh, which scares the living daylights out of me, um, that he's nearly 14. Uh, and uh, I enjoy stuff like basketball. Um, I'm a coach of uh, three junior teams uh, up here. Um, so that keeps me pretty busy quite a lot of the time. You've shared in the past some lessons that you've learned from your time in basketball. So uh, a lot of it is uh, sort of, it's, it's essentially what you learn from, um, from the sport and it can be any team sport um, in terms of being able to run a business well um, it's exactly the same thing that we've just been talking about um, in a team sport you don't expect one player to be able to do everything um, on the court why would you that's not what you would expect um, at all that's why there's you know numerous players on there with, all with different skill sets um so in business exactly the same thing get people around you or um you know outsource things to people who are better at that side of things than you to allow you to be freed up to to you know 
do the things that you're good at. Um, so that's one of the main things that sort and of learned. It's interesting that on the whole, I think most business owners understand that. I think it takes uh, a lot of sole traders uh, a lot longer to embrace that, but I think yeah. most of them understand that. But I think there's a lot that can be learned from that that we can apply on a personal level as well. And it's not so easy necessarily to see that and to think about it that way. But you know, in my life, I've got things that I'm good at. I've got things that I'm not good at, just yeah. as I have with my business. So I outsource my accounts to you. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, you can do the same thing on, on a personal level. Sometimes that will be that you look around you and there's people that you know, if, if I need this, that's the person I'm going to go to to get that support. Yeah. If I need help, like for me, if I need help with DIY, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ask my partner, you know, um, and, and she's probably not best asking me either for that matter. Um, <laughs> I know if I've got a problem with my car, I'm going to pick up my phone and ask my dad and he'll tell me something that was probably relevant like 30 years ago that doesn't exist on a car anymore. I don't know. Um, but he's still going to know more than I do. Um, if I was getting confused by financial situation in my personal life, I would still reach out and talk to you because we're friends, uh, not just my accountant. So it works quite well to do that. It's very easy to think that you've got to deal with your problems on your own yeah, in your yeah. personal life, just just like a lot of business owners feel like they need to be good at everything in their business, but that's not true. And there, there'll be strengths that you have as an individual that I'm not so good at as an individual and vice versa. So we can support each other. And I think that's something people could really benefit from taking that time to recognize where they can get what they need from um, and what they can contribute in return. Do you think men are more prone to that than women generally? Do you know, that's, that's a really good question. I think, I think that's certainly the, the, common perception of things um and generally historically culturally within our culture at least women are more ready to ask for help and support but i often see that there's certain things that they're more ready to and willing to ask for help and support with yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready and willing to ask for support with things that they perceive people think they should be good at. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And I think that perception that, Oh, men don't ask for help and women do. I think that perception in itself is quite damaging uh, or has the potential to be in some situations. Um, Partly because I know plenty of men that do ask for help. I've got plenty of clients that are men for a start. Um, I think the way in which they ask for help is often different. And I think sometimes just wanting to go down the pub for a beer with your mates um, is maybe more important than specifically picking up the phone and saying, I need help with this. Let's talk about it. Long story short, I don't like generalizations. Um, they have a yeah. place, uh, but I, I wouldn't buy into them too much. So, yeah, I think there's some truth to it. I wouldn't just completely dismiss it. But I think it's important to consider 
the bigger picture and and be aware that everyone is different yeah yeah absolutely yeah i was uh, i just think that over my lifetime i think i've seen a change in the way people men especially are uh, i mean for example uh, i've quite openly talked about my mental health issues um and realistically when i look back at the point of me starting to talk about it and being open there wasn't very much talk about it in the sort of general news environment sort of mm. thing um and then probably about a year after or something like that people like footballers uh, the royal family you know started coming out and talking about it more mm. um and it's become even over that short, short space of time i think it's easier much more accepted isn't it yeah yeah for men to be able to talk about it and the sort of thing to say to men that actually yeah you need to talk about it mm. sometimes because you can't do it all on your own um i know that i was a massive culprit of that trying to do everything myself um and that was one of the reasons why i ended up where i ended up um mm. so. so that makes me think of a, a couple of clients i've seen a, a little while ago so not current um one who yeah very much classic example of that kind of have to deal with everything on my own and he would bottle everything up and he was doing that to or at least his his belief was that he was doing that to protect his family so he was yeah. getting stressed at, at work and by various things and um you know he didn't want to go home and then talk about it and bring his wife down and and take his work problems home with him yep. but what ended up happening instead is that he would take the frustration home yep. and then he would end up it would build up and build up and build up and then it would be taken out on the kids um in this example so you know yep. the kid would do something that was genuinely annoying because that's what kids do right um <laughs> but his reaction was then disproportionate to that level yeah. of annoyance because he just didn't have any patience because he was constantly bottling everything up. Yeah. And uh, a lot of it came down to him just not having a lot of confidence and belief in himself. But if you'd said that to him at the start, like when I first saw him, if I'd sat him down and said, oh yeah, you, you just don't have much faith in yourself. He would have laughed that off because he was very outwardly confident. Um, yeah. And he hadn't really reflected on that and noticed that in himself. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't until the second session that we started getting into that after I got him to sort of build his awareness through the first session anyway. Um, that's where he, he was then really able to reflect and see that and recognize that it was his own insecurities that were then leading him to take everything to heart and, and, feel like he wasn't doing a good job when actually he was doing better than he allowed himself to acknowledge and yeah. he was taking all of that out on his kids but opening up and talking about it made such a huge difference that well, his his partner actually messaged me um after just the first session to say wow i feel like i've got my partner back again yeah. thank you so much yeah you know and I mean, yay me, but that's not me. That's him doing that. And the change yeah. absolutely came from deciding to talk about it and to not bottle it up and to yeah. actually, because when you talk about something, you have to, you process it differently. Yeah. And especially if you've got those thoughts that are you know going over and over and over and over in your mind, 
when you talk about them, you have to put them in some kind of structure and logical order. Yeah. Just like when you write them down, if you're not ready yet to talk to someone else, write them down. You don't ever have to show it. But by doing that, you have to give those thoughts structure rather than just keep repeating that same loop and not moving yeah. past that. Yeah. I think I've got a lot better at that as well in the fact that I was definitely in a revolving loop way back when I was really struggling. Uh, now, if something impacts me that I can see is going to make a massive dent in my mental health, um, essentially I allow myself to feel whatever I'm feeling that day, go to sleep on it, and generally the next day then because I've thought it through and allowed myself to go through the process. Generally the next day I'm fine and it's, it's gone. It's in the past and it's, it's sort of dealt with in terms of that, that feeling. Whereas previously it would have manifested itself for, you know, days, weeks, months, you know, afterwards, just because I wasn't processing it. Um, whereas now I'm in a much better place to be able to see it happening, um, be able to allow myself time um, and then work through it. And then, also knowing that if it lasts for anything longer than maybe a couple of days that actually I need to start thinking about something else to, to help me with whatever it is that I'm dealing with. So, uh, about eight years ago now, um, uh, I was working as a finance director, um, quite a high pressure job, uh, but was doing okay. Um, had a, a team around me that helped me do what I needed to do. Um, I was working a lot, but um, my assistant went off on maternity leave uh, and wasn't replaced. Uh, so I got a whole load more work on my plate. Um, gradually started seeing that things weren't sort of right. Little things for me. Um, so not waking up early in the morning. That was a big one um, that I noticed. Um, eating the wrong foods at the wrong times, not eating um, was quite a big one as well. Um, so decided that eventually I needed to do something about it. Um, did the online NHS check thing um, and came out incredibly high um, on the uh, uh, scale of being depressed uh, and highly anxious. Um, went to the doctors um, and uh, went through that process. Uh, and then told my work what uh, what was happening um, and then things went gradually downhill if you know considering where they were it was amazing they could go further downhill um, after that um, and yeah left me in a, a really bad place for, for probably two three years I was really really struggling um, and then managed to, to sort of come out of it the other end um, which was which was good um, what was it that helped you come out of it the other end what do you think was key in that? I think there was a number of things. I think time helped me a lot. Um, I changed physical location. That helped me a bit. Um, I started receiving actual help. Um, I, I massively rate the NHS in terms of what they do. They do a fantastic yeah. job. I just think when I went, I wasn't handled in the right way. Uh, for me, um, I was chucked on tablets straight away. Um, the support I got in terms of um, talking through it was basically one session where I was told, oh, we well, you know what the problem is, so we can't really help you any further than that. <laughs> so like, oh, crikey, right, okay, so I'm, I'm on my own with this and uh, I'm basically medicating. Um, so so and- I, I absolutely love the NHS. 
mental health, I think, still has a long way to go in the NHS. And I, I, I understand why. I'm not saying that there's an easy answer to it, because I think the challenge is that because of the, the, the cost, the time, and the volume of people that they see, yeah. you can't handle everyone's needs individually very easily within that setting and system. And everyone yeah. is different. So a tick box exercise is great for highlighting where some of the challenges are, but it doesn't then give you what you need for that individual person to get the support and help that they need. And medication in itself is not a bad thing and not a problem, but it's just a painkiller. That's it's all it's doing is dealing with the symptoms, not dealing with the problem. So great deal with those symptoms, manage them, but get the support and help you need to deal with the underlying problem and get yourself to where you need to get to. Yeah. And that's the bit that, um, well, you know, as a, as a therapist, I see time and time again, particularly around anxiety, people have their, their six sessions of CBT um, through the NHS and particularly tends to be creative and intelligent people that go through. And so now they understand that they just need to think differently, but they still feel the same. So you've taken someone who overthinks stuff, you've taught them to think about it more, and you're wondering why they're not suddenly magically better. Um, And of course, who are you going to blame in that situation? If you're a clever person and you've done the thing that the NHS says ticks the box and should fix everything, and now you're not feeling better, the chances are you're going to blame yourself and beat yourself up even more, which actually then causes a bigger problem. Uh, The number of clients that have gone through that process and then come to me, um, it's, it's... it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I I don't know what it's like now. Um, I I f- I don't know whether it's uh, my thought process around it now is that when I went through it, there wasn't as much out there about mental health at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time there was quite a lot going on about stress and people being off work due to stress, mm-hmm. and I think I probably got pigeonholed into that bucket of basically you know what it is it's all to do with work you're overworked and you're just stressing out about work here's some tablets you know reduce your workload and everything will be fine uh and it's just like yeah it wasn't it wasn't just that that was that was going on it was it was you know getting everything else sort of sorted out as well so um yeah i do think that's quite common as well though isn't it the 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 workplace gets the blame. Um, but I think also the workplace really is a catalyst for, um, it's also a great opportunity. Like it, it, workplaces that get it right. Yeah. Really have the chance to take someone who's in a difficult place and give them the support that they need to turn that around into something yeah. positive. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's, there's businesses and organizations that fall on both sides of that line. Aren't there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm lucky. I get to work with some companies and go in and they really care about their staff and I get to help support and, and, and help the company and the individual because it's yeah. the, the happier the, the staff are, the better they're looked after, yeah. the more productive they're going to be, the lower the turner, staff turnover is going to be, the exactly. lower the absenteeism is going to be. So the company benefits so much from looking after their staff properly and the individuals benefit from it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that, the, the, um, so people in my sort of position won't necessarily see that straight away um, because it's intangible stuff that you know is 
probably knows going on. Yeah, it's pink and fluffy rubbish, isn't yeah, it? You don't you don't know how much it's going to cost you in the long run in your bottom line of your business, but it's absolutely proven, and that you can see it where a business is, has happy employees. They are more productive. Um, uh, the like you say the absentee rate is significantly lower so that's costing you less money because you know you're not having to get people in to replace them and, and stuff like that so it's it's huge in terms of that um i have a, a sort of a split view on letting employers know just through my own personal you know experience of it mm. my absolute gut feel is you should tell your employer but then i always come back to the fact that i did on the basis that i was still able to do my job there was no sort of signs that anything was wrong or anything like that it Mm. wasn't that the thing i was actually concerned about was going into a board meeting and ending up i jokingly said at the time you know breaking down and rocking in the corner and none of my other fellow directors knowing what the hell was going on Mm. so i was essentially if this happens, you know, nothing to worry about. This is this is where I am, and this is what needs to sort of happen. But I don't think it will happen. And at the moment, there's no visible signs that anything's you know uh, being sort of to a detriment in terms of the work side of things. Unfortunately, it didn't it didn't work out like that for me. Um, so that's where I sort of come back to the fact that my personal experience of it is, yeah, I would I wouldn't necessarily jump to saying to an employer now um, if anybody would employ me because I've been that long self-employed. I don't think I'm employable anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I would now on a personal level if if I was in that situation. I don't know whether I would tell my employer now because of that experience that I had previously. Hmm. I think that very much comes down to the employer, doesn't it? And yeah, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. In my experience, and everyone's going to have their own unique circumstances and situation. In my experience, having been the employer that people have come and spoken to about that, obviously, yeah, I have an interest in mental health and well-being. I have had for a long time, so it's no real surprise that yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, I have a lot of empathy for that. I don't know. I, I speak to a lot of. A lot of people who really are keen to help and want to help and they don't know how and they would be horrified to think that people wouldn't be comfortable coming forward to them oh yeah i get that completely and when i look back um i always thought that we were um an empathetic company always willing to you know look out for our staff in terms of the best possible way that we can when i look back at it i wonder whether that was just my position on it Mm. and my voice in that boardroom which created that environment um and why i didn't receive what i would have expected um in that sort of situation so like you say everybody has different um you know experiences and and things that taint the way that we view things um like i say i would always say to people to to go and speak to your employer about it if you if you are struggling with things because that's the best way to uh to get through it um and to to get the, the whatever help and, and things you need um hopefully you're put employers on, on board with that and, and helping you get sorted to be honest if they're not probably not the employer that you want to work for so well, <laughs> so I, this i was going to phrase this as a question to you you know you 
you came forward, you weren't supported how you wanted to be. Obviously, there was a long period of time before you really got back on your feet into where you needed to be. Yeah. Part of that process, I'm guessing, involved losing that job or leaving that. Yeah, yeah. So it was about about seven, eight months after I let them know um, that I I left that employment um, and and went and did the crazy thing of moving um, location and setting up on my own, which was, in hindsight, um, a crazy thing to go to somewhere where you don't have a network at all and and try and start up a business. Um, Thankfully, it worked and I'm still here, um, which is great. Um, But yeah, that was a bit of a, a crazy time to be doing it. But the thing that, you know, pushed me through that was the fact that I needed to provide for my family um and that was the absolute um sort of core thing at the the very bottom things that I needed to keep going to to be able to um to provide for my family Uh, so looking back on it obviously you're you're in a good place now and it's all worked out really well but regardless of how it worked out if you were to speak to yourself not someone else in that position but yourself back then would you say, do it, tell your employer? It's not going to work out, but tell them anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, would you say, keep it bottled up, don't do anything? I, I'd probably say tell them, because <laughs> you, you will get through it and you will come through it. But there were some dark times in there where I look at it and wonder how we had the strength to actually come through some of the things. Um, and... Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go back there. Thankfully, I've, I'm. I suppose it's it's that it's that you know old adage or whatever it is that you know you're the sum of your experiences. Um, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without those experiences. So I believe it has made me stronger. Um, it, the the absolute silver lining that I always say to people is that um, the great thing for me is that going through my mental health issues is that. I know now know the signs for when I'm drifting again. Um, so if I see myself not waking up early in the morning um, consistently, um, eating food at the wrong times, not eating, um, those sorts of things, going quiet, not talking to people, um, that's the time when actually it's sort of like, yeah, this isn't going the right way. We need to you know, start, you know, changing little things and, and trying to move in the right direction um so that's the, the silver lining for me is that i can actually spot it now before before i get down the, the dark hole that is um my depression and anxiety so. Mm. so key learnings and lessons to take away from that be be aware look at yep. yourself question where you're at look for changes for you personally you've just listed those but for people listening it'll be different for everyone yeah yeah absolutely anything that begins to show regular shifts in in behavior for yourself yeah and the question is that a good thing is that something you want or is it something that's maybe a sign of something going on yeah and and if if this the thing that i sort of say to people is quite often get it uh, asked the question from people who are with somebody who's suffering from depression or anxiety um, and what they should do. Um, and I can't speak for everybody and I always carry at it by that. And I'm in no way qualified to talk about mental health apart from what I experienced and what I would have wanted uh, and what I probably sort of needed. But 
is the thing that uh, I go. So one of the the absolute um, trigger, not triggers, but uh, it's a, a thing that I can, if I catch myself doing it consistently, then I know something's wrong. Is um, I'm fine, thanks. Mm-hmm. Now those three words were my shield essentially from people finding out what was going on. And actually when I look at it and look back at why I was saying that was because if I said I'm great, people would have looked at me and goes, well, he's not really great. So there must be something else going on. So I didn't go too high on the, you know, feeling you know brilliant about things. Um, I just went, I'm fine. So that was, yeah, the right side of being positive, uh, but nobody really questioned it. Um, and that was, that's one of my triggers. Um, and one of the things that, uh, I've said to a couple of people being sort of close to somebody suffering with things is uh, from my point of view, I didn't want people asking me all the time how I was because that was something that wasn't a great situation, which is why I created that shield, which was I'm fine. Thanks. Hmm. And then they just go off and not really think anything about it. So, um, one of the things that I always say is, you know, just make sure that they know that you're there for them and don't keep asking them how they are because if they're like me, they'll just create that knee-jerk response that doesn't mean anything um, and means you won't get to the point of being able to be any help to them at all. That's nearly the end of part one, but we're going to carry on this conversation, so we're going to start a part two. But just to end this first part of the episode, out of all of that, what would you say would be the biggest lesson that you've taken? For me, being in that situation and suffering from it, um, the biggest lesson that I've learned is not to try and do it all on my own. Um, and that's what I tried to do, bottled everything up, kept it all to myself. Um, I was the strong breadwinning guy. Um, sounds very sort of old fashioned and um, <laughs> sort of a Neanderthal man sort of almost. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's where I was. That was, you know, I had to be strong. I had to support my family. Uh, you know, I couldn't, you know, break essentially. Um, and I suppose that's the, I don't know where I read it or who said it, but one of the things that always resonated really, really strongly with me was that, um, I can't forget who said it, but it was that, um, uh, something like depression is, um, people who get depression are because they've been too strong for too long. And that always seemed for me to resonate really sort of deeply in the fact that I did feel like that. I'd been that strong for that long in in terms of across my life that eventually I got to the point where it was the last straw and it basically broke. There's a difference isn't there between being strong and being rigid. You know, you, 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 you get an oak tree and blast it with a gale and it's going to react and respond very differently to a willow. Yeah. You know, the willow will stay standing um, because it's flexible. It's subtle, supple. Okay, cool. James, thanks very much. And I'll chat to you some more in part two. <laughs>